0: Amen. Great worship. It's all worship, but uh, the singing part uh, is an important part of worship. I'm Derek. I'm one of the pastors here. And we are excited that you are here to join us. Uh, when I was a young man right out of college, uh, Callie's not here so I can talk about this. Callie's my wife. We were dating when I graduated college and I wasn't ready for you know what comes next. And so I moved to Russia for two years. And lit and worked in the U.S. Embassy um, as just I was a custodian, then I was a window washer. So my job was was suspended scaffolding window washing on a ten-story building, but when winter comes along, there it, you know you don't do that anymore. And so I was kind of jobless. And the the locksmith, so the the U.S. Embassy locksmith for some reason I don't remember what it was, all of a sudden left, and there was no locksmith, and I was kind of jobless. So it was like, hey, do you want to be the locksmith? I said, well. Okay. Um, and so it was kind of one of those weird situations where I, I was given an office full of tools and, and books and locks and things and there was a stack of work orders, back order of locks that needed to be fixed throughout the embassy. I had no clue what I was doing. <laughs> you know, I mean I grabbed this stack and put the you know, and I'd go up and look at it and it's like this weird combo lock and like we lost the combo, we can't figure I mean I was ill equipped. You know, it was one of those for, for a while I felt very uh, somewhat stressed where, you know, I'd go and I'd have the work order and the person that called it in sees the locksmith coming. And of course, they get excited. Our thing is going to get fixed. And I walk up and I'm like, I got to go get my hammer. (laughs) You know, I don't know what else. So my question is, do you ever feel that way in life? You ever feel ill-equipped to deal with life? You you get something that comes across your desk in life and you're like, how do I handle this? Uh, Maybe it's in parenting. You know, we've got some parents in the room. Your kid comes home or something, you find out, and it's like, how, how do we handle that? Maybe it's a, a breakup, uh, a divorce, an, a marriage issue. I mean, we can go down the list, but do you ever have those things where you go, I don't know how to handle this. I am not equipped. I don't have the tools in my bag to deal with whatever this is. Well, we're going to be looking at 2 Peter, so you can turn to 2 Peter if you would. But 2 Peter, uh, Peter is going to address some of this. Peter is going to talk about uh, what we need to get through this life. And today, we're only going to look at four verses, and they are deep. They're heavy. It could have been three sermons, but lucky for you, it's not. Um, But in here, really, we're going to see Peter saying, you know, you have all you need in Jesus. Your, Your tool bag is full. All these things in life that are coming at your way, you have what you need in Jesus to deal with whatever it is. You know, as I was the locksmith, as time went on, I, I discovered the tools that I had. Uh, there was a stack of books, and so I would go and I'd I'd figure out the problem. All right, it's this kind of lock. You know, how do I break in without tearing the door off? And I'd go back and I'd look up books. And I'd find the answer and I'd come back. It's like, oh, this combo lock, you drill right here and stick a pin in it. It was super cool. Um, then I, I discovered the CBs. They're the, na- in the Navy, there are CBs, and they're kind of the construction guys in the Navy. And there were two of those guys stationed there that knew everything about these locks. So when I encountered something I didn't know, I would just go knock on their door and they were super nice. I'm like, hey, what do you do with this? And they would grab one off the shelf and show me and then I'd go look really smart and fix somebody's lock. But I had the two, tool- you know, I found the tools and as time went on, I, I got better. I could never really pick a lock. In a similar way, when we come to know Christ, we're given everything we need, all the tools. And part of this walk is, is learning how to use the tools, learning how to use what God has already given us to make it through. And Peter is writing, now this whole book, uh, as I was wrestling over the past months of where are we gonna go next? Uh, you know, After our all in series, where does God want us to go? And I was reading different uh, passages, different books. And second Peter, I just kept coming back to it because it is extremely relevant you know kind of like last week i read a letter to a church from revelation i said this could be to us second peter could be to us because second peter is writing to counter false teachings that had moved into the church there were false teachers liars that sounded good and they're coming and they're hanging out with the christians and starting to lead people astray and so peter is near the end of his life he, he's going to die soon probably and so he's writing these last words to go hey this teaching is coming in, but I'm going to counter it. The gospel you have is true. I was there. I saw Jesus. I hung out with Jesus. And so he's writing to affirm and confirm what they believe and saying, no, stay here. Don't get distracted by these other ideas that sound good. Stick with Jesus. So in second, turn to 2 Peter. Again, we're going to be looking at just the first four verses. You know, and as I said, this is Peter's last words probably. Now, he's probably writing from Rome, and he would die in Rome under the persecution with, uh, under the Emperor Nero, and so he knows he's going to die soon. We see that actually later in this book. He says, I'm about to go. I'm, I'm leaving this body, um, but I'm reminding you of some things that you need to remember and not forget. So again, this is for us, 2 Peter, starting in verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by which he granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Lord Jesus, thank you for having Peter write this down for us. God, I pray that you would lead us through these verses, uh, that, Holy Spirit, you would encourage us, convict us, bolster our faith where it needs to be bolstered Uh, do what you want to do in and through us i I pray that we would say yes to you before we know what it is you're asking of us that we would agree with you before we even maybe know exactly what we're agreeing to because you are our authority Uh, we love you in jesus name amen so here this is obviously a letter um, and we don't know exactly who it's to most would say it's probably written to the same audience as in first peter and First Peter was written to churches throughout the, the known world of Asia there. Um, and so these are Gentile Christians probably, uh, but they're Christians scattered. And so that's kind of the idea, is it's believers in Jesus who are out in the world, among the world, where we should be, but scattered around. And so he's writing to them, and he, he tells us who he is. You know, first, Simeon, which is the Hebrew form of, of Simon, Peter, Peter. Uh, you probably know some of Peter's history, but, but he has two names there. His name was Simon. When he was born, his parents named him Simon. Later, as Peter was growing up, he and his brother Andrew were fishermen with their dad, um, and, and Andrew meets this guy named Jesus. And Andrew then runs, and he finds Peter, his brother, and he says, Hey, we have found the Messiah. Uh, come see. And so, so Peter goes, and he meets Jesus, and Jesus says, You know, you know you're Simon, but I'm going to call you Peter. He changes his name. Peter means rock. So maybe you've heard that, Petros. So it means rock, which of course we think, oh, you know, Jesus looked at Peter and saw he is strong and firm and he's the rock. It can also mean hard-headed. So, but, you know, when he first said it, it wasn't like Peter's like, yeah, that's right, I'm the rock. He was probably like, Hmm. <laughs> you, you know, Jesus knew some things about Peter, and as you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you watch Peter a little bit, and you're like, yeah, he's kind of a rock. Um, some great things about Peter. Peter, I think, you know, as we look at the New Testament, as we look at the, the, the Gospels, he probably gets the worst rap of, of all the, the apostles, of all of the disciples, because he is uh, impetuous. He is bold. He is out there. He's, he's going for whatever it is. It, it's Peter. Who, when they're in the boat and they see Jesus walking on the water, you know, they freak out, and Jesus' is like, it's fine, it's me. And Peter's like, yeah, if it is, tell me to come out too. None of the other disciples stepped out, but Peter did. So Peter's walking, then he looks around, sees the wave starts to sink. Jesus pulls him up. It's Peter, you know, who goes and, and gets the first one to the tomb when, when Jesus died and rose, and the and the, the ladies come and they say, Hey, Jesus has risen from the dead. Peter takes off running. And he gets in, you know, and he's looking in there. Uh, It's Peter who, when Jesus in the garden is being betrayed, he pulls out a sword and cuts somebody's ear off. I mean, Peter's like, it's going down. I'm here for you, Jesus. But then, just hours later, Peter is watching Jesus at, at his trial at a distance. And a young girl comes up and says, aren't you with him? And he denies Jesus with a curse. It's Peter who at one point, you know, Jesus asks his disciples, he says, who do people say that I am? They say, well, you're a prophet or or you're Elijah reincarnated. And he says, but who do you say that I am? Peter says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus turns to Peter and he says, you're right. And it's my, my father has revealed this to you. And upon this rock, meaning the truth of him being the Messiah, I will build my church. So he plays on his name a little bit there, but on this truth, I will build my church. A few verses later, Jesus says, we're going to Jerusalem and I'm going to die. And Peter's like, time out, bad plan. Let's not do it that way. Jesus, you know, let's come up with a better plan. You don't need to go die. You don't need to do that. You know, he's like, "We'll, we'll do whatever God wants, but not your way. And Jesus turns to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. So, I mean, this is Peter. He knew success. He knew failure. He struggled. He denied Jesus three times. But then after Jesus rose from the dead, we see a scene where Jesus comes and grabs Peter, and they go for a walk on the beach, and he kind of restores that relationship. Peter has been there. You, you ever feel ill-equipped to deal with life? Peter's been there. <laughs> you, you struggle with how to walk through. The, he was married. You know, you read a bunch of Paul, and Paul talks about marriage. Uh, like, well, you were married. But it's still Scripture, so it's valid. Peter was married. You know, so when Peter talks about marriage, you're like, yeah, Peter had a mother-in-law. We know because Jesus healed her at one point. Uh, Peter lived with his mother-in-law, looks like. So Peter has been there. Peter understands. We can listen to Peter. But now I want to give away a little bit why he's writing. And it starts right up front. You know, Peter just jumps right in. But here's what he's battling it looks like, Gnosticism. It was a belief that was, it was popular in, in the Greek-speaking world and in the Roman world and, and was moving into the church, this Gnosticism, this false teaching. And so some of those were coming into the church saying, we have secret knowledge you need. We know some things, and these Gnostics, we'll talk about that a little more in a minute, they would come and they would actually sell their belief. They'd say, we're enlightened. You know, God has given us unique knowledge, and if you pay us money, we'll, help, we'll let you in on it. Um, rather, the gospel, when it went, the disciples, they went freely. In fact, that was what Jesus taught. He said, go freely. Don't take money from anybody. Be different than the others and support one another. That's what he said. Let the, the church support its missionaries and pastors. Don't go to somebody outside. We give the gospel freely. So these Gnostics were selling this knowledge. And as that moves in, you see a little bit, people are going, okay, we, there's special people with special knowledge. We need to find them. We need to listen to them. We need to find that secret thing we haven't found yet. And Peter's writing to go, no, that's not the way it is. And so he starts out right in the intro in verse one. He says, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. Right away, Peter says, listen, yeah, I'm Peter. I hung out with Jesus. I saw him risen. Yes, I'm one of the first leaders of the church. But guess what? We all have equal standing with God. One of his first things to say is there aren't special people, you know, that you need to come under, you know, their enlightenment. We all have equal standing, equal standing with Peter, an apostle. Why? Because of the righteousness of Jesus, the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is imputed righteousness. This is the beautiful picture of the gospel and that we, Peter included, you see his sin in the gospel. You know, luckily ours isn't written down that much. Um. But you see his sin, and then when he turns to Jesus, Jesus' death on the cross, his blood covers the sin, and then he receives the Holy Spirit. We see that in Acts. Same with us. When we place our faith in Jesus as Lord, saying, I agree I'm a sinner. I agree I've gone away. I believe in you, Jesus. Thank you for your death on the cross. Now take my life. He gives us the Holy Spirit, and now we become righteous. Exactly like Peter, John, the rest of the apostles. This is a big deal we as humans kind of have this tendency to want to elevate people and follow, or we have this tendency to want to elevate ourselves and bring people under us. But Peter very clearly is saying we have equal standing. He's not saying there shouldn't be leadership and accountability and those things, but he's saying we have equal access. You you have everything you need, he's gonna say that, in Jesus. So this first kind of question I think he's answering, and it's a great question for us, is there a secret we're not yet aware of that will enable us to experience a more full spiritual life. Is there a secret? A more fully spiritual life? That's a misprint. My bad. <laughs> a, a more full spiritual life. What are we lacking and is there a secret we need to find? What is the hidden knowledge? What is the silver bullet we need? Now again, his audience is believers. You know, These are fellow Christians. But they're being pulled astray. And again, this is in your notes. Every Jesus follower has equal access to God and spiritual standing before God because of Jesus' righteousness imputed to them. So we don't need priests to go through to get to God. We don't need pastors. You know, pastors aren't, I've heard people say this, oh, you must be a pastor, you're closer to God, you should pray. Actually, no, I'm not. You know, if I have any benefit, it's because I spend so much time in the word, but I don't have any special standing with God. We have equal standing. Our prayers are heard equally. We can all go straight to God. And he says this, you know, to those who have obtained a faith, you know, of equal standing, obtained. You know, when we think of obtained, it it looks like achieved, but that word actually means received by lot. You know, kind of like drawn straws or very literally here, it means received by divine allotment. You have obtained a faith, meaning it's been given to you. Peter agrees with Paul and the rest of the New Testament. We are saved by faith in Jesus alone, not by works. It isn't out working hard. It isn't that God looks down and goes, that one's pretty good. I'll choose that one. That one's pretty good. I'll choose that one. No, God says that one's messed up. I'll choose that one. That one's even more messed up. I'll choose it. Divine allotment, divine choice that he chooses. Again, not based on our works. That's the point he's trying to say here. Faith, not works. And so we have this equal standing with God. And then he gives a greeting. And this is a standard greeting in the early church. Uh, The the Jewish greeting would have been peace to you, shalom. Maybe you've heard that before. Uh, The the Christians kind of combined the peace with grace. Uh, Grace and peace to you. And Peter takes it and actually adds something to it in verse 2. He says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. So he takes this normal greeting but elaborates on it, grace and peace. What are those? Grace is God's favor and blessing freely bestowed. That's what grace is. Grace is the giving of something uh, that isn't earned. You know, sometimes we confuse grace and mercy, and sometimes they can overlap, but mercy is really uh, withholding a punishment that's due. So we have mercy too. We deserve punishment. We deserve judgment. We deserve hell. We don't get that because of Jesus' death on the cross, because of his righteousness, that's mercy. But we also get his grace. And now this is one of the themes of the rest of the book. We have this faith in Jesus alone, and now we have grace, meaning God's favor, divine blessing in our lives. Again, it's freely given. And then peace. You know, and peace isn't just, you know, I'm good You know, I'm at rest, uh, absence of turmoil. This word peace uh, really, and it stems from the Jewish idea of peace, means complete or mature, meaning something that has all the pieces needed. That's what peace is referring to, wholeness or completeness, which is really cool if you look at this greeting, grace and peace, meaning God's free blessing on you, may that be true, and peace, meaning all the parts that you need to, to live this life, let, let you have all of it, grow, grow in grace, and that's the title of our series, grow in grace, because he begins here, and by the way, he ends the book, the last couple verses saying these same type of things. so we know this is one of his, his thesis for the, the, the book, the letter, is to grow in grace, because here he says, let it be multiplied, which is fairly interesting, because we're saved by faith, Right? We're blessed, we have his grace, so how can it be multiplied? You know, can we have more of Jesus? And that's a picture here. We see this process of saved by faith, and now we enter a process of growing in Jesus. And the more we grow in him, the greater blessing we get. Not because God looks at us and goes, ooh, now I love you more, I'm gonna give more blessing, because it's all there available, but as we grow, we learn the tools in the bag. We learn, the, we have access, we learn faith. You know, faith is a muscle. You know, faith is, and how do you grow a muscle? You use it. Faith grows as we use it, as we experience God. Grace and peace, again, here's the, a theme of the book. Grace and peace in our life grows as our knowledge of God increases. In these first four verses, we see knowledge pop up twice. And as we go through the rest of this book, knowledge is going to be one of those themes. This word knowledge is epinosis. You don't need to know Greek. But it's a little bit different than gnosis. And does gnosis sound? It's spelled G-N-O-S-I-S. The Gnostics believed in the secret knowledge, gnosis. So now Peter's kind of playing on these words. Epinosis. It's not just a knowledge. It's actually an experiential knowledge. This, and that's why you, you see on your, your handout when you come in, we want you to experience Jesus. That isn't some, you know, like ethereal, feel-good thing. It's, it's a learn about Jesus, study his word, experience that, that knowledge, and then walking in faith, obedience, uh, learning to go through those hard times with Jesus. That's what we're talking about, this experiential knowledge. And as we experience Jesus more by walking in obedience, by learning his word, The blessing in our life increases, and the peace in our life increases. The wholeness. Again, it's this process that we enter into. So, the Gnostics. Just so we understand that a little bit, because we're going to move to these next verses. And here's where this starts to get extremely relevant to us. One of the the great themes of Gnostic teaching, and there were different branches during that time uh, that had different bents. But one of the great themes was not scripture. You know, so they would come in, they would use similar words as the Christians, and the Christians would go, oh, you're like us, they would come in, but then they would deny some of the things in the Old Testament. They would deny original sin, deny that Jesus needed to rise from the dead, and so they denied really the core truths of the gospel. So they'd come in and then just undercut the whole thing. Part of, you know, some branches of Gnosticism was, let's get away from a a moral God and his moral standards, and therefore, Look at the Old Testament. We kind of got to get rid of that because there's a lot of moral standards laid out there. Now, if, if we get this special knowledge, we can do what we want. We can go this way, avoiding morality. Does that sound familiar? I mean, that has been a great theme. Uh, moving into Christianity for a couple hundred years of coming in and going, you know what, we really want to live this way. So now let's take Scripture. How can we live this way and accept Scripture? Well, let's change it. Let's interpret. We'll say that was just cultural. Or, now let's say, is actually not relevant. There's a lot of ways. And so we move away from biblical morality. That's what they were trying to do then. And Peter is going to fight against that vehemently, I guess the word would be. He comes strongly against that idea. No, we do not wander away from morality, away from uh, God's plan for us. Um, it's in him. So, again, we look back. How do grace and peace grow? Not by abandoning scripture, not by abandoning morality, but by giving in to what God wants to do. Now look at verse 3. It says, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So, again, here's the theme, and he's going to get more into it next week. Of there is a morality, and we do want to walk in it. That is godliness. We want to walk in a way that glorifies him. The sanctification process become more like Jesus. We, we want to get there and life. He's given us everything for life. Uh, as, this morning as I was praying through these notes, it's kind of funny, but the thing that resonated with me was, was uh, our country. You know, When the United States was formed and the, our forefathers, whatever you would call them, wrote stuff down, you know, what was one of their basics for us as a country? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, which are great things. But really, those are biblical. You know, life, you know, God wants to give us great life, abundant life, Jesus would say. But it's not just health, wealth, and prosperity. In fact, it's often not that. But it's life. This word life is, is not just biological life, but it's the idea of complete life. Life, kind of like peace, with all its parts, things are good. Life and happiness, which I would say joy would be a deeper heartfelt happiness, these things God provides. And Jesus has given us everything that we need to grow in our faith, to grow in joy, in godliness, in Christ-likeness. And so the question is, how? And so here he says it again, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. And again, it's not a special knowledge that some secret, you know, you got to go find. It's the knowledge that He gives. Again, it's gained by learning the truth in Scripture, by engaging with believers, and walking in obedience. We're given everything we need. Again, Scripture, the Holy Spirit, and one another. We don't need something more. We don't need to find that secret thing. And here's where... In another way, this becomes relevant. Maybe you've experienced this in your own life or you've seen others that go, you know, I gotta find that thing. Um, And the great new teacher, you know what I mean? Or or, or great writer, now I'm reading all their books and life's all about this theology or this thing. Um, Or I'm discovering you know yoga and yoga is not a bad thing, but but yoga comes from Eastern mysticism, which comes from this meditation, and so then there's this I found these things that I'm then combining with the gospel, and you got to be really careful with some of those sneaky things coming in, uh, combining again Eastern religions with the gospel. Whereas biblical meditation isn't emptying the mind, it's actually filling the mind with with God's words, and so we don't look for those other secret things. We find them in Jesus alone. Again, so I kind of put in my notes here, stop running after the new spiritual fad, the new enlightened truth, the new famous teacher or speaker. All you need is in Jesus. You know, I've had this happen a handful of times just in the past few years of people coming, you know, being kind of sidetracked by a teaching or a theology or whatever it is. And I go, are you spending more time in God's word or in these other books? And almost every time it's like, Oh, the other books. And Christian books are great. I love to read. But, but they're kind of, they're accessories to the word. And this is the authority. This is life-giving. You know, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Uh, all of these words have power that, that any pastor's words or any writing can't have. And so we find it here. And you see that in verse 4. So you see before I go to verse 4 but but 3 he, he definitely has this idea of growing in godliness but here he says called to his own glory and excellence we are called to godliness we are called to be like Christ and so I think if we could sum that up it's Christ likeness we we grow we have been what was that <laughs> there we go yeah we are called to grow in Christ likeness in thought, and in action. So he expects us to gather, he expects us to grow, which is best for us to do that, to grow in this knowledge. Verse 4, he has granted us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. That is so packed full. Again, that's why we could cover this for weeks. But here, his precious and great promises, what are those? There's so many. He, you know. And as you study this passage, you, you read people trying to, to write a commentary on this. Eventually, you just have to go, we're done, because we'll have to go through the whole rest of the Bible. What are his great promises? Jesus says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. That's a great one. Jesus said, I'm coming back. There's a great one. When I come back, you're going to have a new body like mine. No more sin, no more death. I mean, the promises just go on and on and on. And so there we have them written in scripture. And as we learn these promises and experience these promises, we grow in grace and peace. And become partakers of the divine nature. Again, Christ's likeness. I love this. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Past tense. Having escaped. Before you know Christ, you're in the world, you're corrupt because of sinful desire, uh, lust. Again, we think lust as sexual, but it's not just that. But these fleshly desires that lead us astray. Then when we come to know Christ, the power of that sin is broken. We have been, we have escaped that corruption, meaning... Before Christ, we're, we're heading toward decay and death. Then in Christ, we head in a different direction. We've escaped that. Done deal. If you're in Christ, guess what? You get Jesus. It's done. This growth in holiness is kind of added to it and, and increases blessing. But it's not that we are then going through this process in order to be right with God. We're already, we've already escaped that corruption. And we're, we're now given the Holy Spirit and everything we need to grow in him. Again, excellence. That word excellence is the sum of all desirable character qualities. We might call it maturity. To live fully, God has given us the Holy Spirit, Scripture, and one another. And He has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. So again, what what is the issue for you now? Financial troubles. What is the thing that you came in here now, maybe in the back of your head, maybe in the forefront of your mind? I I don't have the answer to this. I'm struggling with this. I wish I had that. What is it? All we need is found in Jesus alone. Everything. He's given it to us. You know, I think Romans 12, 2, and here the Apostle Paul writes with a, a, a very helpful. His way of putting it, if I can find the book of Romans. Romans 12, Paul speaks to this process, starting in verse 1. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what the will of God is, which is good and acceptable and perfect. That's Paul's way of saying the same thing Peter is saying. Let me read that again. Do not be conformed to this world. Meaning those other things that you're going to try and add in, those other things that are going to tell you they have the answer, don't be conformed. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Again, we're talking knowledge, learning your mind, your thinking, let God change that that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Again, he's speaking to this process of, of testing, of walking through life, of testing God out, trying what he says and seeing that it's true, seeing that it's real. In coming to know God through Christ, the believer escapes the corruption of sin and Christ renews and restores the image of God in them. How beautiful, how beautiful. You know, unlike when I started out as a locksmith and I'm like, I don't have what it takes. We have, we have everything. Doesn't mean we're not gonna struggle, but it means we know where to go for the answer. We have all we need in Jesus, humbly receive from him. So as we move to our, our time of response, I want you to think, what is it that you need right now? What is it that you're lacking if you have never given your life to Jesus as Lord, that's your first thing. You need Jesus because sin, uh, Scripture lays out very clearly, the, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus. It starts with that faith. You know, Peter starts right there in his first verse by talking about faith. That's where it starts. We need Jesus. Admit you're a sinner. Accept that Jesus died for you and say, you can be Lord of my life. Confess with your mouth, Jesus as Lord. Believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Starts there. Then we enter this fun and sometimes difficult process of letting him transform us. So as we go to respond, I'm gonna be available in the back. There's gonna be somebody else available uh, in the back, another leader to pray with you, uh, to talk with you. Maybe something comes to mind. You're like, I just need to talk to somebody. Or I have a question. And maybe we have the answer, maybe we can find it together. Come see one of us. Maybe you know what it is, and you need to just stay there and sit and pray. Or maybe you need to come to our prayer wall over here, write down that prayer, and put it in the wall. But what is it that you need, God? Maybe you're confused, and you need to sit there and just ask the Holy Spirit, God, I need you. Holy Spirit, I need you. I'm struggling with this. Derek just said, and Peter said in Scripture, you're enough. I need you. And then see what he does with that. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are enough. God, it's easy to to say that. Um, It's easy to read it in scripture. But I'll be honest, sometimes when we enter life, it feels harder than that. Uh, We we maybe have sinful habits that we've done a long time before we even came to know you. uh, And they're hard to get rid of. Maybe we have a relationship issue and that person. Uh, and and we feel like they're the issue, and and maybe the issue in the relationship is ourselves, but we can't do anything about it. Holy Spirit, I pray right now you would soften our hearts to whatever that issue is to us. Soften our hearts to realize you are enough. You are enough, that you can change us to be like you. Uh, Jesus, I, I picture you as you were going through your suffering, as you were being beaten, and, and people were, were, were hitting you, they, they, they blindfolded you, and then they beat you, Jesus, and they said, prophesy, who hits you? And then, Jesus, you took that crown of thorns, and you went to the cross, and while you were hanging there, you prayed, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they do. Jesus, you are our example. You've shown us how to do it. We need you, and thank you that now you live the life you lived then in and through us. Make us like you. God, I pray for a growth in grace, your blessing in our lives, and a growth in peace, completeness in you. Be glorified now, please, as we continue to worship. In Jesus' name, amen.